get going. Let's get going on our fourth class in Baptist Essentials. We have covered what is a church, what is church membership. We have covered the ordinances of baptism and Lord's Supper. And then last week, we covered church discipline. Today, we cover church officers, elders and deacons. And uh, so let's just get going. Uh, By way of introduction, uh, Baptists historically have recognized two offices in the church, the office of elder and deacon. Uh, You even see this in the early church. Uh, The apostles, of course, were the first leaders of the New Testament church, but the apostles were a temporary office that you'll understand more after today's sermon. And even in the book of Acts, as you see Acts progressing, you see leadership being handed off from the apostles to elders as the apostles saw to it that elders were ordained in every church. And so even in Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul calls for the elders of the Ephesian church to come to him and he exhorts them as elders to shepherd the flock of God and to take care of the flock over which God has made them overseers. So you see apostles, even in the early church, giving way to elders uh, in local churches. Sure, by the time the New Testament is written, say the book of Philippians, Paul writes and he says, to the elders or overseers and deacons. We have two basic offices in the New Testament church, that of elder, that of deacon. What are elders? Elders are servant leaders of congregations. What are deacons? Deacons are leading servants in congregations. So let's talk about deacons first, and then we'll talk about elders. By the way, can't you see me quite clearly? I mean, if you've ever wanted to see me or Brad more clearly, you see me and you will see Brad more clearly now because there are lights that shine upon me. Um, and, uh, and I think I like them. It, it feels a little bright to me right now, uh, but I'm going to get there. Don't look directly into them, otherwise you won't be able to see your notes if you're up here teaching in the future. So, uh, first of all, deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos, and it just means servant. So, diakonos means servant. So that's where we get the word deacon, and a deacon is a servant. It's very, very appropriate. And really, the the like the ground leveling, establishing text that is so helpful for what a deacon is and what a deacon does is in Acts six, which is really kind of the proto diaconal office and where everything begins as it relates to deacons. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter six. And let me read to you this text. So, Acts chapter 6. Of course, this is at the very beginning of the New Testament church. Uh, In Acts chapter 2, the Spirit is poured out at Pentecost, which is the birth of the New Testament church. And then the gospel begins to spread like wildfire, and thousands are being added to the church in this very, very active and significant time in redemptive historical, uh, in redemptive history. And we get to Acts chapter 6, look at verse 1. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, well, yeah, they really were, a complaint 
by the Hellenists, which is Greek-speaking Jews, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. What's the daily distribution? Well, there were widows who were in need of very basic care, uh, and the church, having all things common and having a responsibility to care for one another, uh, were taking care of widows by making sure they had their needs met. And some of these widows weren't having their needs met. And so there arose a, a complaint about this very real and practical need because some members of the body weren't being cared for. So this is a problem. By the way, why is this such a huge problem? If, there's a, if there is a significant need not being met, and some in the church perceive that others are having their needs met, but this group isn't having their and by the way, this is not like a psychological thing. It's like really practical, identifiable needs that are not being met. One group, who happens to be the Jewish group, is having all of their needs met, but the, the smaller group, the Greek-speaking Hellenists, they aren't having their needs met. If that doesn't get rectified, what do you think is going to happen? Damon? There's going to be division in the body. Uh, that's a really, really big problem. So this is a big problem. So the 12 disciples summoned the full number of the disciples. They summoned the whole church. They said, guys, we have a congregational meeting. Uh, everybody come together. I don't know if they had a potluck, but it was a congregational meeting. And they said... It is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables, to, to deacon tables, diakonos, serve, to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hand on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What do deacons do? They care for the physical needs of the church. They care for the physical needs of the church. They ensure, you see it here, in that they were appointed to ensure that this very practical need was taken care of. They care for physical needs in the church. They also promote unity in the church because they serve a role such that the body has its needs taken care of, so they preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And they promote the ministry of the Word by freeing up the elders to continue to focus on the ministry of the Word and the ministry of prayer. You notice that the apostles said, it's not fitting for us to leave the Word and to serve tables, not because they're snobs, not because they're spiritually elite, not because they don't care about practical needs in the body, but because they understand that they have a particular role given to them by God. This is where they need to spend their great, greatest amount of effort and time and care and energy is into preaching and teaching. And they recognize that they should not be taking that time away from that 
ministry to serve tables. But they recognize this is unbelievably significant, so you need some people to do this. So the deacons, uh, they, they serve the ministry of the word in that they free up the apostles in that day, in this day, the elders, to focus on the ministry of the word and in prayer. And by the way, notice, are the, are the deacons just kind of any old level of spiritual maturity? What, 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 kind of, what kind of men, or I would argue women, must deacons be? If you just look at this text in Acts, what does it say? We haven't even gotten to the requirements of deacons in Timothy. Full of the Spirit. What else does it say? A good reputation. And, and they must be recognized by the whole body. It, wasn't it the church that was gathered together here? And the elders, or the apostles, listen, choose from among us, recognize among us those who are full of the spirit of wisdom, have a good reputation of those who are outside, and who can take care of this very important matter. And the church was involved in this process. So by the way, this is getting us to, as we talk about elder-led congregationalism, which we're going to get into next week, is that there is... There is an authority that God has invested in, in the congregation as a whole. There are multiple spheres of authority in the local church. The elders have authority, but the congregation also has authority. It's very important that both recognize each other. Um, and the church is not a pure democracy. That could lead to chaos. Neither is the church a pure whatever the elders say goes. That leads to chaos as well. Um, so you see the interplay of of leadership and congregation uh, working together even here. Uh, The the leaders are leading and calling forth the congregation, help us identify deacons. And then the congregation helps identify deacons. And so you have deacons who are caring for the physical needs of church, promoting unity of the church, and promoting the ministry of the word by freeing up elders. All right. So that's what deacons do. They are uh, leading servants in the congregation. Uh, what must deacons be? If you look at 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, which I won't read it for time's sake, but you can just note that and look at it later, I've summarized the list for you. They must be dignified. They must not be double-tongued. They must not be addicted to wine. They must not be greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. What that means is they must not be theological babies. They must understand the truths of the Christian faith and hold it to them. And then they must be tested and proven, and then they must have a faithful family life. If you actually look at the characteristics between deacons and elders, they're not that different. Um, They're really not that different. Elders must be able to teach and there's more of an emphasis on the elders' um, authority in their own home because the elders are exercising authority in the church in a leadership and authority capacity. So there's, uh, there's more of an emphasis on the elders in that way. Specific to they must, be, they must be apt to teach elders. Deacons don't need to be apt to teach. Why do you think? Because they're not teachers. I mean, they may be teachers, but they're not in a teaching role in the congregation. The role of a deacon is not a teaching authority role. 
which, by the way, is while I ultimately argue it's entirely appropriate for women to serve as deacons because it's not in a role of authority or a role of teaching, which is what God does not say, which is what God says is inappropriate for a woman in the context of the gathered congregation. Okay? So, what must deacons be? Uh, essentially, mature Christians. May women serve as deacons? Yes. Uh, yes, I believe women can serve as deacons. Now, if you, if you, just, if you just think, well, I, I grew up in whatever Baptist church, and, um, and there was a pastor, and then there were the deacons. Um, and in a lot of Baptist churches, deacons kind of serve like elders, where they're essentially uh, an authority structure in the church for how things roll. In that case, I would tell you it would be inappropriate for a woman to serve in the diaconal role in that congregation because those deacons are functioning like elders. But the reality is I would just say to you that congregation is a little bit disordered. Those deacons are actually doing the work of elders. Those deacons should be called elders, and deacons should be established that do what deacons do, which is serve practical needs in the body. Everybody with me there? So, textually, I also think you see deacons in the pages of the New Testament. Romans 16 speaks of Phoebe, a deacon. Uh, now, it's possible that she's just being referred to as a servant, textually. That's possible. Uh, but I don't think that's the case. I think she's actually a deacon. Also, in the list of requirements, the text in, in the deacon list in Timothy, it says, uh, their wives also... And then it begins to give some requirements for deacons' wives. I actually don't think that's deacons' wives. I think that's female deacons. Uh, And there are several textual reasons why I say that. One, the word itself in Greek when it says their wives, the the there isn't there. It's just wives. And actually wives is either appropriate, either translated women or wives, just depending on the context. Okay? So it's very textually possible for it to just say women. So in other words, women who are serving as deacons must be this. Now, it's interesting. Why would there be a list of requirements for, if you do think it's deacons' wives who must be something, why would there be requirements for deacons' wives but not for elders' wives? You would think if there was a requirement for there to be, for wives to be of, 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 of a particular something in order for their husbands to serve, You'd think that that the requirements would be on that of elders, not necessarily deacons. And yet you see it in deacons, not in elders. Why? Well, I think it's because it's actually addressing female deacons and the requirements for female deacons. Also, if you look at that text, you'll see that Paul, when he's working through his argumentation, he uses a a phrase which lets you know he's transitioning to a new thought. And it's, it's the phrase, likewise, likewise this, likewise that. Likewise this. He's transitioning to a new thing. And he uses likewise their wives must. So I actually don't think he's talking about female or or the wives of deacons. I think he's talking about female deacons. Um, So I think it is appropriate for women to serve as deacons, which is why we have deacons here. Because theologically you're not in a leadership role and you're not teaching. uh, You're serving. And it's entirely appropriate to do that. Um, so some reflections on deacons before we just, I open it up to questions for you, uh, for a second, but reflections on deacons, deacons 
are shock absorbers. And what I mean by that is you see in Acts chapter 6 that there was a problem that could cause possible division and harm to the local church. And deacons are brought in to absorb that shock and to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. I can't tell you how many times Dean has come to me and has said, hey, I just want to let you know I'm seeing this and I'm thinking this might need to be addressed and taken care of. What's he doing? He's being a shock absorber there, uh, ensuring that the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace here at our church is preserved through practical needs being taken care of. So deacons are shock absorbers. Deacons are also problem solvers. So essentially, deacons see a problem, they want to safeguard unity, they think creatively, and then they solve the problem. That's a glorious thing. And then deacons also do quiet work, but they have a profound effect. I think it is so significant what Paul, not Paul, Luke, says in Acts chapter 6. After deacons are established, did you notice verse 7? And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. That's not an accident that that took place immediately after the installation of deacons to take care of this significant need that was a threat to the flourishing of the church in its age. Deacons do quiet work, but they have a profound impact in the church of Jesus Christ. So, how do deacons function here at Redeeming Grace Church? They focus, they, they function They function like you see here. They take care of practical needs within our body. Uh, So I I think what you see at Redeeming Grace Church, not perfectly, but generally, is that deacons, our, our ladies and our men who serve as deacons, are zealous to take care of lots of practical needs, and they do that, and they do that quite well. Any questions about deacons? Skylar? Seven were called to serve in the Jerusalem church. How many should any given body have? Is that prescriptive? Is it how many deacons should a body have? I think it's up to the individual congregation, depending on what's needed. So I think that is descriptive, not prescriptive. They chose seven. It's not saying there should be seven deacons in each New Testament church. It's going to vary. Damien? What does it mean to be tested and proven? I think it means mature... Uh, I think it means uh, a, a known a known person, a known quantity, a known entity, someone who responds well to challenges to suffering uh, you know who's who 's essentially a mature christian that 's what I think it means Matt um, I grew up in a church where the structure was pastor deacon board, um, and so coming here was just a little different. And then I remember when I found out there were women on the deacon board here, I just, it wasn't like a problem because I was like, I know this is a theologically sound church and obviously over the years it's fine. I mean, I've even had family and cousins come here or friends that I know that have come here and then found out there are women on the deacon board and they just split went somewhere else. And I'm just curious, why do some Baptist churches have that structure if it's not like, like you said, like they should be calling the deacon board the elder board. And why is there a hesitancy to change that structure in in the terminology to just clarify that? Is there a reason that 
you know, those fundamental Baptist churches are doing that? Or I think for a long time Baptist churches just haven't done, I think, well, and this isn't just Baptist churches, this is churches in general. I think just for a long time, the ecclesiology, which is the doctrine of the church, has just kind of been a, a, a poorly understood doctrine um, that has not been given much thought and consideration. And so I really think it just flows out of there not being much consideration and thoughtfulness towards ecclesiology. And then I think for some of those brothers, if they were to study ecclesiology a very small amount, and, and they, would, they would see, oh, yeah, this makes sense. And actually, Baptists in the past have done this. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like your grandfather Baptist, honestly. I'm nothing, I'm nothing new. I, I'm really just like, hey, I'm, I'm a, your Baptist grandfather right here, even though I'm 42. Like, this is how Baptists used to do it. Um, so uh, I think for a lot of the fundamentalist brothers, I think they're, I think they're just going to be really slow to make that transition because what does it feel like? It, well, it feels liberal if you, you know, if, if you, if you move to have a, a female deacon, that just feels like, oh no, we're, 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 we're going liberal here. Um, you're actually, you're not. Um, but, but I understand that, that nervousness. Does that make sense? So I think reform in any church is hard. I think church gets used to how church is done. And then if you introduce a new idea, it's like, what? What are we doing? We've had the deacon board and it's operated like this for years. Yes, but I don't think that's what we see in scripture. So why don't we transition, have the deacons be servants, have the elders be leaders, have the deacons be both male and female, have the elders be male only. Why don't, why don't we do that? Well, that just takes some work. Uh, and that takes a process that's called revitalization, which is happening in so many churches. It's happening in Bread of Life Baptist. This is how Bread of Life Baptist was done for years, but what's Logan doing? He's bringing revitalization in time through teaching, through patient instruction. So I think it's just poor ecclesiology, and then I think it's a little bit scary to revitalize. between having one pastor and four deacons as opposed to a group of elders. Um, a lot of the churches in, that were, like in the network where I grew up, had a very, um, it was like a dictatorship. The, a lot of whatever people, the pastor says. Whatever the pastor said went because he was the elder. So I wonder if that is something that some churches struggle with too, is letting go of that amount Yeah, maybe. Living in here in Vermont, we have so many churches that have become nominal Baptist churches through the fusion of various congregations of various styles and backgrounds. They just never followed the gospel layout for how it should be done. They just went with what they had. Because that's what they do. Yeah, any other questions on deacons? Sam. Growing up um, in churches all my life, I think there's always a more, more of an emphasis on deacons being, you know, needs of the church as, as, as a church building. And I wonder if, if there's ever, <coughs> if, if there's ever like a, more too much of a focus on okay the windows cracked or the carpet needs to be re, uh, replaced versus you know our body as as a whole like this like these people need to be 
more attention or whatever, if you get what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's a good thought. Well, let's talk about elders a little bit. Uh, so elders. So deacons are leading servants. Elders are servant leaders. Okay? Leading servant, servant leaders. I'm a preacher, so everything has to have some type of little, you know, twist or alliteration or something. Okay? It just goes along with the territory. And it's Sunday morning. Are you with me? All right. Now, here's what you need to know. Um, in the New Testament, you see different words for elder. You see presbyteros, which is elder, and you see bishop and overseer. That's the word episkopos. So what you need to know is that presbyteros, elder, and episkopos, bishop, overseer, those are the same thing. Let me just show you one verse which will help you see that. Titus chapter 1, verse this is in the list that is giving requirements for elders. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders, presbyteros, in every town as I directed. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination for an overseer, episkopos, as God's steward, must be above reproach. That's clearly talking about one person, okay? And it refers to that one person with two different Greek words, uh, the word uh, presbyteros and the word episkopos. So elder equals bishop. Elder equals overseer. Um, and pastor is another word in the mix. I would say pastor is actually what an elder is supposed to do. Okay? An elder is supposed to pastor. An elder is supposed to shepherd. Okay? So first of all, elder equals bishop overseer. Um, now, in the New Testament, the pattern that you see is that local churches have a plurality of elders in each church. I won't go to these texts, texts that you could observe there and look at this afternoon or another time. Acts 16.4, Acts 20.17, Acts 21.18, Titus 1.5, James 5.14, 1 Peter 5.1. All of these texts and others make it clear that there are a plurality of elders to serve in each congregation, okay? So you don't just see one elder and then, you know, that's it. Now, sometimes there may only be one elder, and, uh, and in which case I think that elder should pray for other elders to be raised up and do the work of, uh, of raising up other elders so that he can have other elders serving with him. So, you see a plurality of elders. Now, what do elders do? What, 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 is, what is the task of eldering? Uh, I take these four things from Benjamin Merkel's the role of biblical elders in Baptist foundations, church government for an anti-institutional age. Uh, I think you see four things, really, that elders are to do. Number one, they are to exercise authority or to lead. So there is an authority that is vested in the elders of a local congregation. This just makes me think about, and I don't know why my mic is going in and out, but it is, alas, we can look at that before I preach, I guess. So, 
you see in, say, Hebrews 13, an exhortation to congregations to follow and submit to your elders, right? So there's, there's authority that's been vested in the elders, and the congregation is called to follow as the elders lead. You also see that elders are to shepherd. In Acts 20, when Paul calls the elders of the Ephesian church together and he exhorts them, he exhorts them to care for the church of God over which God has made you overseers. The word there is, um, is oh, I'm going to get the, the conjugation of the verb wrong, but it's like po- poiemas. It, it's, it's, to, it's to shepherd, uh, it, poimain. Ah, I'm getting it wrong, but shepherd the flock of God. Okay, They are to care for, they are to shepherd the flock of God. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, um, I'll just read it for you. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So you see there's this idea of authority, but this idea of authority is the authority of a shepherd who cares for his sheep, and it's not to be a domineering authority or a you know, harsh authority. It's to be an authority by way of moral example, It's to be an authority by way of a laying down your life to care for. It's to be an authority that's exercised, I would argue, primarily through the teaching and preaching ministry of the Word, where you are shepherding people to know their God and to follow their God. And you are saying to people, follow me as I follow the Lord Jesus Christ, which is why an elder is to be one of exemplary moral Christian character, okay? So elders are to lead, they exercise authority. Elders are to shepherd. And one of the main ways that elders shepherd is by teaching. And you see that there's that that third one there. Paul charges Timothy to teach. Elders are required to be able to teach. So elders are teachers. This does not necessarily mean that elders have have to preach on Sunday morning. Because teaching finds its way into all different aspects of our lives. In macro example, I stand up on Sunday morning and preach. That is an exercise of a teaching ministry, clearly. But there are other ways in which teaching takes place. Personal and private interactions, small group settings, Bible studies, seminars, right? So elders must be able to communicate the Word of God, effectively, such that the people of God understand and can follow. Does that make sense? It's it's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. So elders exercise authority, eldership, and elders are also called explicitly to equip. So, so good. Elders are all replicating themselves in... um, disciples who are being raised up and have a greater and greater desire to minister God, God's word. If you look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, you don't have to turn there, but I'll just read it to you. Uh, he speaks of the gifts Christ gives to his church, and 
and it's and he says the shepherds and teachers, and then he says to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So one of my main jobs, one of our elders' main jobs, is to equip you for the work of ministry. Um, Paul told Timothy, you know, that which I have entrusted to you, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So there is a equipping aspect to elders' ministry, okay? All right, what must elders be? If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, you'll see the requirements of an elder. Uh, First of all, he must desire to serve. So there may be a man who is equipped, who is biblically qualified to be an elder, but if he doesn't desire it, he shouldn't be it. Um, And do you know why? Because it's not easy work. Um, And so it has to be something that's desired. If any man desires the office of an overseer, Paul says, he desires a good thing. So elders must desire this office. Elders must be able to teach. Elders must not be new converts, okay? Elders must not be new converts. And then there are family qualifications, and then there are moral qualifications. Family qualifications is that an elder must be a faithful husband, and he must manage his household well. Why must he be a faithful husband and manage his household well? Because he is to be an example to the flock. And managing, if you can't manage your household well, how will you manage the church well? So if you can't keep your children under subjection, then how will you manage a flock of, of children that you've been charged to care for? So elders must... Be faithful husbands, and elders must manage their household well. Um, Moral qualifications. Uh, There are positive characteristics to possess. There are negative characteristics to avoid. The overall banner that that should be over an elder is the word above reproach. Okay? Now, please know this does not mean perfection. Hello, Sally. Uh, I mean, you know me, uh, you know. Um, and you know our elders. We are not perfect. Above reproach means, you know, essentially the overall manner of our lives is such to where if you were to hear from someone that one of your elders had did something that was absolutely heinous, whatever that fill-in-the-blank might be, if you were to hear some rumor, we've done something heinous, your immediate reaction would be, no. No, no, they, no, no, he hasn't done that. That can't be true. That can't be true. I know, I know him. Now, the reality is it is possible for an elder to do something heinous, which is why you see in Timothy that if an elder sins terribly, he's to be rebuked before the presence of the whole congregation. Um, so it can happen. But, um, yeah, beware of being an elder. Um, so... Uh, yeah, that'll, that'll keep me, that keeps me up at night. Uh, so, um, so, but just the idea is that the, the moral character of, of the elder is such to be, is, is one that, that you can, you can respect that man. And you can follow that man. And you can say that man is a mature, godly man. Not a perfect man, but a mature, godly man. That's, that's what it's getting at above approach, okay? Uh, so that's the banner over all these others, I would tell you. 
Um, so you must be self-controlled, sober-minded, respectable, hospitable, gentle, have a good reputation with outsiders. He must be a lover of good. He must be righteous. He must be holy. He must be disciplined. And then ne- negative characteristics to avoid. He must not be a drunkard. He must not be a bully. He must not be quarrelsome. He must not be greedy. He must not be arrogant. He must not be quick-tempered. Now, let me just put a... I like to simplify things because I think the job of a preacher is to make complicated things simple, not the other way around, okay? Essentially, an elder should be a mature Christian man. An elder should be, brothers in this congregation, you should look at this list and think basically, this is what I want my life to look like. I want to be a mature Christian man. That's all this is describing is a mature, godly, Christian man. That's what an elder must be. And, and it should be something. Every man in this congregation should aspire to look like what this list presents. This is not putting forth, well, here are the varsity men in the congregation, and then the JV, well, here's all the losers in the congregation. No. Every man in the congregation should be basically, I want to be this. And I know what this looks like because I see it in those men. They're real, they're honest, they're sinners, but they're following their Savior. And I see the Spirit of God working in them to mature them, and there's an evident godliness about them. That their words have weight because they're person, because they are people of character. Does that make sense? Okay. May women serve as elders or pastors? Um, No, women may not serve as elders or pastors. They are specifically uh, forbidden from doing that. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. And then, interestingly enough, the qualifications for overseers, elders, follows directly on the heels of that text wherein Paul makes clear that the role of an elder is to teach and to exercise authority in the local church. So textually and theologically, women are not to, pl- to serve in that role because it's not appropriate for them according to Scripture. Does that make sense? So, um, yeah, I want to cover just a couple of couple of reflections and then give you an opportunity to ask questions in our last moments here. Um, in this little excellent book called The Display of God's Glory, Basics of Church Structure by Mark Dever, he has four reflections on the congregation's relationship to elders. Number one, clear recognition. I'm, I'm kind of robbing some, not reading all. Clear recognition. Elders are to be recognized by the church as gifts from God for the good of the church. The church should therefore delegate to them the duties of teaching and leading in the church. Those duties are only to be revoked when it is clear that the elders are acting in a way that is contrary to Scripture, and for their part, the elders must recognize the God-given authority of the congregation that's been given to them by God. Two, heartfelt trust. The church should trust, protect, respect, and honor its elders. Uh, The elders should direct the affairs of the church, and the church should submit to their leadership. So the writer says in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be no, of no advantage to you. 
Notice that the, the benefit of submitting to elders' authority is actually a benefit to you personally. Um, I think that's interesting. And then number three, uh, sincere carefulness. The elders should be marked by a use of their authority, which shows that they understand that the church belongs not to them, but to Christ. Church, the church, uh, Christ has purchased the church with his own blood, and therefore it should be cherished, treated gently and carefully, led faithfully and purely, for the glory of God and for the good of the church. The elders will give an account to Christ for their stewardship. And then finally, beneficial results. As in a home or in our own relationship with God, a humble recognition of rightful authority brings benefits. In a church, when authority is used with the consent of the congregation and for the good of the congregation, the congregation will benefit as God builds his church through the teachers he gives the church. Satan's lie, never to be trusted because it's always tyrannical and oppressive, verted by the benevolent practice of and recognition of the elder's authority in the context of the congregation. So, what questions do you have about elders in our last few minutes here? I realize it's kind of like, here's the fire hose, and we're going to turn it off. Uh, any questions? I see one from Damien first. I'm just wondering, uh, here, how do, we, how do we make elders and deacons? Are they... Selected, recommended, or... Yeah, great question. The process for both elders and deacons, every year in our congregational survey, we basically ask you, hey, are there anybody based on these requirements that you think fit this? Okay. And then we as elders look at those, and then we may choose to bring some people to the congregation and say, we think this person should be serving as a deacon or as an elder. Um, And then we put them before you. We typically... um, give you a a significant period of time to consider that uh, and then give us input on that, and then we have a congregational vote um, and install them. So anybody at any time can recommend an elder or a deacon. We give opportunities specifically in our congregational surveys, um, and then... But we as elders, we actually bring forth the recommendation because we may know things about people's lives that person X in in the pew doesn't know, and so we may not bring certain people uh, to the congregation for consideration. Hold on, I saw Martin next, and then I'll go to you, Mary Margaret. I just wondering, some churches in recent years have elders, regular elders, and they have somebody called a teaching elder. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, that would be a, a, that would be a key tenet of Presbyterianism. Uh, there are ruling elders, and then there are teaching elders. Um, and that's coming out of 1 Timothy 5, but I think it's a misunderstanding of that text. I think all elders should be able to teach, and all elders are functioning in some form of a ruling capacity. So I wouldn't want to separate them cleanly. Mayor Margaret? I think terms and sabbaticals are a matter of wisdom. So Scripture doesn't say, you know, Elders are, and I know I haven't offended them, they're greeters, so uh, they let me know ahead of time. Uh, so uh, it's always like when somebody just gets up in the middle of a sermon and walks out, you kind of just wonder, I'll just let you know I wonder, okay? Uh, uh, I do, and then I try to stay focused. Uh, so um, so it, it's, a, it's a matter of wisdom. Um, so 
you could pray for wisdom for us as elders, uh, as we, we've talked about that before. We've never done that. Carol? Do you ever have anybody approach you and say, I would like to serve as a Typically not, and I think that's a, a good thing. Um, so you, you tend to notice both elders and deacons. By the way, deacons, elders may show themselves first as though they were deacons because elders just want to do whatever is needed to be done, and so they're just willing to do anything. And so it may look like you've got a deacon on your hands. But then what the, the elder will begin to separate himself from the deacon in that the elder will essentially be peopling so much and gospeling so much and sitting down with people and talking about the scriptures and praying with them and working through life and doctrine and parenting and things like that. They just start working with people. And so what are they doing? They're shepherding. So you begin to see, ah, we have a shepherd on our hands here. Um, so, so deacons and elders, they kind of just begin to bubble up. They kind of just begin to show themselves. Uh, over time in the congregation. CJ, last question. At what point is it not appropriate to cross into roles of like, you know, maybe you're meeting with other brothers and sisters and you could consider a shepherd or like you're, are you like crossing into an inappropriate role that only elders possess or only deacons possess and helping others and how do you I think the New Testament gives a very robust category for one anothering in Scripture, that we are to be in one another's lives, encouraging, exhorting, calling for mutual upbuilding and teaching and discipleship and iron sharpening iron. So I wouldn't want anybody to be thinking, uh, boy, if I'm really giving input, am I, am I eldering and I shouldn't be eldering? No, I want you to give input. And I want, you, and I want the person receiving to be humble and think about that and talk about that. I want the other person to give input. And I want this person to be humble and think about that and talk about that. Like, we need help. Uh, we, need, we just need help to live the Christian life. So we want to help each other. We want to shepherd each other, okay? The elders have a particular responsibility to do that. But I think everybody actually has a biblical discipleship role to play in one another's lives in helping one another grow in godliness and mature. So with that, let me end because we're over. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. Don't miss it.